oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x fippin' whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't tryna steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. what it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn Two Podcast Brought to you by rotofanatic.com I'm your host Matt Williams You can find me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. And joining me as always now is my co-host, Mr. Brian Seymour. What's up, Brian? Are you excited? Are you excited about the trade deadline coming right up? We've already seen quite a few moves. I am pumped. Yeah, we were just talking about some uh, reliever action going on. We don't know where Max Scherzer is going to end up. Chris Bryant. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff going on. And I this podcast, and I guess you are both a good luck charm for me because it seems like every Wednesday when I boot up what's going on with my fantasy leagues, I pull into another uh, couple cash positions with my draft and hold. So I'm feeling really good. Uh, we're getting to the home stretch and a lot of, a lot of roster shakeup coming up here in the next few days. I'm pumped. Yeah, yeah. We'll see uh, a lot of fantasy value is going to be changed dramatically. Like Kendall Graveman, throw him in. Right into the trash, everybody. <laughs> if, if you're in yep. transaction leagues, he's, he's quite literally worthless now. Um, Paul Seawald, obviously, will be a huge fab ad this week if he wasn't already rostered, which is very possible he's, he's owned quite a few places because he's been lights out. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of the whole Mariners situation? Because they had the whole thing where they traded Kendall Graveman and then, I guess, forced Houston to take Rafael Montero, um, maybe as a penalty. The... Uh, the outcry from the Mariners players, I mean, saying that, uh, oh, this is same old, same old. They don't care about us. They don't care about winning. I think one player actually said Jerry DePoto doesn't care. He never comes down to see us. He's just up in his box playing fantasy baseball was the quote. <laughs> um, but, you know, Kendall Graveman was crying. And yeah, I get it. I mean, because you're a team that's overperforming and a lot of times that has to do with like a very tight group of people in the clubhouse. And if we remove someone of importance, that's going to shake things up. And then, of course, last night they go out and and dig up the corpse of the Phillies and Pirates Tyler Anderson trade, and they trade for him late. So I don't know what the hell the Mariners are doing. Are they in it? Are they not in it? You trade your closer. You acquire a fifth starter. (laughs) What do you make of that? This is sounding like we maybe we need a Brad Pitt cast as Jerry Depoto movie now. <laughs> um, if he's just up there hanging out playing fantasy baseball, but uh, yeah, this is a weird, weird situation, and I know they've been like the talk of Twitter over the last few days. Um, I, I don't know that this team is good. I, I, maybe I should rephrase that. I I think you and I would both agree. I don't if they would somehow sneak into the playoffs. I don't think they're going anywhere. Um. And I, I don't know that their win total and their record right now really refle- reflects the true talent of the team. So it's it's interesting. As a fan base, you obviously want them to make moves if it looks like they're competing, and I totally understand that. I, I would be more interested in, you know, let's preserve what we have and continue to make moves towards the future because this is a very good org- – I mean, I think this is a great up-and-coming organization. I just don't know that this is really a competitive team in the playoffs right now. Actually, I would pretty much guarantee they're not – um, 
but it's interesting. I, I don't know what Depoto's doing. I, I don't know what to believe. There's there's been weird stuff going on with them since uh, well documented before the season um, even started. So you know, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. They're kind of an enigma to me. Yeah, it's like they're not. I mean, they're in it. They're very much in it right now. Mm-hmm. I think you have to assess your chances of winning a one game playoff if you do not have an ace. I, I, you know, you have to really take a strong look at your chances. And I think, I mean, even Mariners fans agree you, you don't have a chance, but you know, you never know in baseball, you never know. Just look at giants mm-hmm. teams in the past. I mean, they've had monster pitching though, even though they may not have had an overall, the most talented team in some of their world series years, they had, you know, monster pitching going into it. So that's a big, a big thing. So, I mean, it's not make or break that they traded Kendall Graveman. It was a big problem for the team itself because, you know, they have a, you know, a tight knit group there, but I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard some things like Abraham Toro, like maybe they're going to turn around and flip him uh, to another team. I know they were linked to getting Whit Merrifield, which again, for an, for a young up and coming team, I don't know how getting Whit Merrifield makes sense. And now you have them linked to getting Trey Turner, which makes sense because he's young, but then you only have him for two years before he's a free agent and you're going to have to give up so much to acquire him. So I don't know. I mean, it's a tricky situation for Depoto to be in, uh, but they don't really have a ton of veterans to trade. I mean, if they were going to do anything, you, you can just like sit on your hands, make a couple of small acquisitions like Tyler Anderson and try to appease the team, which in that case, why yeah. didn't you keep Graveman? But you can't, you can't punt the season because it'll piss everyone off. Cause what they're really, they're one big asset to trade that would net them something worth trading for is probably just Mitch Hanniger. But then of course that would end your season and the team would turn against you. So it's a tricky situation. I'm with you. You got. I think you just stand pat. I mean, the Tyler Anderson thing is is interesting because it's like, okay, hey, we're doing something. Um, I, I think you got to kind of stand pat and make a couple nominal moves like that just to appease the fans and everything. Because Depoto is a smart enough guy. Like, I, I don't think that this team is going to really go anywhere. I mean, they have a negative fifty-one run differential right now and are being outscored like on a per game basis. So um, yeah, I, I, I think you kind of make a couple minor moves like that. And then they're in a good spot. You don't want to screw up your future here or anything like that. So I, I, I stand pat. Let's just see where the chips fall this season. Yep. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see about the rest of the trade deadline, which we'll probably get into next week. But uh, for now, uh, let's get into this week's topic uh, on NBC sports edge. My, my article this week, which actually ties into the road fanatic t- data monster. If everyone hasn't checked that out, absolutely should go in. We have our RF command metrics and stuff ERA, which kind of goes into, um, you know, the explanation is on the site, but basically it measures your command based upon the results of your expected, you know, location showing like where um, if you were facing up against a hitter, you know, they're hot and cold zones where you're throwing versus where the ball actually goes versus the results expected from where you throw the ball. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very cool stat. And I use that in this article a little bit, but essentially I dive back into the foreign substance crackdown date, which I did earlier this year, which I, I looked into the first week afterwards in order to see if anyone was changing up their arsenal like just changing their attack plan for something to watch going forward. Now we have quite a few starts. We can actually look at some actual data from what has happened. So I wanted to look at June 21st, which is when the crackdown officially started. A lot of results started to change before that because they knew it was coming, but June 21st is the official date. Uh, and I just looked at every single pitcher that has qualified since then in, in a leaderboard. And I wanted to see how everyone was performing. Um, you have to zero in on something though. I mean, ERA doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean much. 
Uh, obviously, it's a category in fantasy baseball you care about, but it doesn't really tell you how a pitcher is performing. Um, FIP either. I mean, that's might give you a truer indicator of what to expect, but again, that's just overall results. It's not showing you how or when or how, you know, what's happening. So I decided to key in on K minus walk percentage, which is in my opinion, the number one asset or the number one statistic and metric anyone should be looking for in pitching. I mean, there are countless things you can look at in pitching analysis, but yeah, not everyone has that kind of time, which is why I write these articles. So I can kind of show you, you know, show the audience and make you think, and, you know, hopefully teach you how to do some cool stuff. But uh, K minus walk percentage, if you only have a little bit of time, or you really want to look at like one or two things, to see how pitchers are doing. I think that is absolutely the best thing to go. And essentially, you know, it's just strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. The league average typically is around 14%. If you want to do your own research, that's a benchmark for you. But before we get into the actual leaderboards of who's doing well and who's doing not well (laughs) since June 21st, um, let me explain why we actually want to look at that. One, you know, if you want to see how a pitcher is doing, you want to see, especially for fantasy purposes, You want to see how effective their stuff is and nothing really measures that as much as strikeout percentage. And you want to see how well they are commanding the ball and nothing really measures that as well as, as walk percentage. I mean, it's, it's very basic, but in terms of breaking it down to one single component and one single metric, I think that's absolutely the best one. Um, So Brian, what are your thoughts on K minus walk percentage? And then also K percentage and walk percentage versus K per nine walk per nine, because a lot of people are still using that one. And I get into my opinion about that, but I wanted you to kind of give your thoughts here. Now, I think that uh, K minus walk percentage has really been the benchmark now for years. And to me, it's funny that like, these aren't even that revel. This isn't, it's not a revolutionary metric. You know yeah. what I mean? It's oh yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah, exactly. But, but, but it's cool though, that it is still probably the most important to look at, to look at like future predictive future behavior from pitchers. So you're right. We have all this crazy stuff, obviously with StatCast and baseball savant and everything. Now you can look at so many different things, but I think behaviorally, I agree with you that this certainly more than uh, that, just the rate of K per nine or walks per nine, the percent, you know, you, you want to actually take batters and at bats into account. So the percentage is obviously more important. I think behaviorally for future predictor of general pitching success, that doesn't mean obviously that this, the, the table that you have here and the way that we've sorted it is going to be like, what's going to continue verbatim. And these pitchers are going to perform exactly in this order, but once you go down this list, I think you'll find that the guys that are leading in the K minus walk percentage categories here are going to generally continue to have success the rest of the season. So, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah. And, and we say this isn't revolutionary. This isn't new. A lot of people are on to this, but newer people may not be. One thing is it's not I don't think it's given the proper respect. Like if when they're talking about scion contenders. FIP has finally made it into the conversation <laughs> recently. I mean, that's been around forever. That's finally right. being considered like, you know, last year it was a big deal with the short season, but K minus walk percentage is never brought up. And I think it's huge. Um, like you said, uh, you know, th- this isn't anything, this is just, it's still a results based statistic. This is what has happened, not what will happen. But if you look at the end of the year and you look at like the top 30, you know, top 25, top 30 in uh, ERA, and then look at the top 20, 25, 30 in K minus walk percentage, you'll get a much better idea of who you want to attack and draft the next year by looking at K minus walk percentage, not necessarily ERA. So again, it's just another one of those metrics that are far more useful than surface stats. Um, Yeah, totally with you. 
So the first thing I break down into the article is the leaderboard for people that have done well. <laughs> so basically I said, uh, you know, K minus walk percentage is strikeout minus walk percentage. The league average is typically around 14%. So we're just looking at the overall um, leaders in that area. Number one, right on top at 33%. Again, second place was 27.6. 33.3% is Aaron Nola, who's had a That's really crazy. weird Jekyll and Hyde season. His um, for the second half for since June 21st, 35.7% K percentage, 2.4 walk percentage. Cause sometimes you'll see this and some people just have like, you know, a higher walk percentage, but he has a high K percentage and a low walk percentage. It's, it's crazy. Only a 4.8 ERA does have a three, two, five FIP in that area, which is one of the biggest spreads in pretty much all of baseball since then. I get into my reasonings here um, before I kind of poison the well and continue to dominate the airwaves here. I don't know if you want to jump in, Brian, with your with your thoughts, because it seems like his metrics all season have been good. Um, and this is maybe something, you know, this is this, not to spoil the rest of the show, but this is a theme since the crackdown spin rate hasn't actually been. Um, the primary focus of pitchers failing, in my opinion, because I think on the surface of what the casual fan thought is, all right, these balls are, you know, going to not move as much. Therefore hitters will be able to hit them more, which is true. I mean, offense across the board has gone up, but the main issue for the pitchers that you are most interested in fantasy, which are the good, you know, the solid top end pitchers are little things uh, like not having the grip, even if their spin rate hasn't gotten done without having the substance, their grip is not there. Therefore their command is off, which, will lead to higher walks, which I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about quite a bit. A lot of pitchers are just walking more, not Aaron Nola, but many are just walking more because of a loss of command. And because of that, and a, maybe a slight loss in spin for some, the ball is maybe more hittable. But if you have loss in command, maybe you're missing in a terrible spot, which we'll talk to right. about. You, you Darvish is a good example. You know, you, you know, you're walking more people and you're maybe leaving more over the heart of the plate. So I think it's walks and home runs have been the thing to, I think, almost keep an eye on. Uh, I know I said I sort by K minus walk percentage, but I think home runs and walks have been the really two big issues so far. Yeah, it's really interesting with Nola too, because like you said, totally Jekyll and Hyde. And he's a guy that I relatively, I think you said you did too, I relatively highly invested in this season and, yep. uh, you, you know, was really interested. I think he was considered by many and some sharp people as a dark horse Cy Young candidate for this season. And it's been, it's been a weird year. This is certainly ridiculously encouraging. I think those rates, I mean, because he's six basis points, you know, not to spoil the rest of this list, but he's six basis points and came on his walk percentage than the next guy. So, I mean, and, and then it's just a huge clump from there on down. So I know it's what, maybe four or five starts, but it's still crazy. And again, like you said, the ERA is not there with it, but a good fit. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, kind of looking into this further, I mean, you're looking at he's been hampered by the home run this year, and that's definitely been an issue. What do you think is creating that, and is that maybe just noisy for Aaron Nola? I mean, you know, you wrote here that you feel that, you know, we still have the propensity for blowups maybe down the stretch and things like that. Obviously, certainly also the dominant occasional start because he's that talented, as we know. But what's creating this is, – is this home run stuff random for him? Like, why is he being hampered by the long ball? Um, well, again, he's not walking anyone, which is great because the only thing – I mean, walks and home runs are bad. When tan, when 
combined, they're catastrophic. So he's giving up home runs. He's not walking many. Um, he only has a 231 batting average against in there, but 1.8 home runs per nine since June 21st. That's the 14th highest home run to fly ball ratio in baseball during that time, which you can write off to luck sometimes maybe, um, or bad luck, I should say, in this particular case. But this is something that has bothered him the entire season. I include a chart for his ERA, home run to fly ball ratio, and FIP. They're all climbing from day one, and they just continue to get worse as the warmer uh, weather comes. He's getting barreled 9.2% of the time, which is not like horrible, but it's not good at all. I mean, that's not, that's not what you want to see, especially in an ace. So, I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just when his he misses, he misses bad. But um, yeah, he's giving up these really hard hit balls. I would say that I wouldn't want to completely panic because obviously we've seen like he, he, he tied the major league record for strikeouts in a row, tied Tom Seaver earlier this season. Um, you know, so we know how good he can be but there's no reason to suspect that the blow up games will stop because he can't seem to escape that, you know, you know, those couple of big hits that really cost him. And, you know, if you, and it, even though he has a low batting average against, I don't know what it is that comes in clumps, you know, he, he puts on a batter, you know, he, uh, you know, a single, single home run, you know I mean? It just comes that right. way. So uh, with how many pitchers, are actually consistent now. I think you just have to live or die by what he gives you. I wouldn't be trading him by any stretch. Like I said, I think my last sentence in his com- in his thing, I think you already said, is Nola is going to have some gems in his back pocket down the stretch in fantasy, but the blowups are likely here to stay. I think you just have to take him. You just got to take your medicine because there's hardly any pitchers right now this season um, where you're avoiding those blowups. And I think you know that I, there's enough with Aaron Nola to show you how dominant he can be. I, I, it's, I think it's inactionable. Uh, I think the blowups will continue. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, there's nothing really to suggest versus spin rate and everything that there's something that really jumps off the page as a, as a pure fix. Um, there's no, there's no suggestions that he's tipping his pitches. It's just a matter of, you know, he's, he's getting people to chase, but sometimes he just misses in bad areas and people are taking him yard. Yeah. And you know, look, there's no league where you're not going to be starting Aaron Nola for any start. I mean, he was in cores earlier this year. I started him for that. I don't care, you know? Um, so, I mean, if anything, this is obviously encouraging, I would say, you know, it'll be interesting to see how I, I really hope he does rebound from the, the, some of the stuff in the early season, but I think this is definitely encouraging. You know, there are guys that are obviously struggling after this change. So um, I, I hope, I hope Aaron Nola continues to rebound. Yeah, I mean, if th- I- this is certainly good. I don't know. I mean, if I'm in first, it doesn't matter where I'm placing. If I need a, if I need, if I am a long shot in a fantasy league, or if I'm in first, and I have the ability to take a shot at to, to, to try to like put my throat on the necks of my opponents, I might be looking to to buy Aaron Nola low here because, again, yeah. this is a problem that has bothered him the whole year, and we're we're at August now almost, but everything I would ever look for in a pitcher to turn around is here with Nola. I mean, he leads the entire league in K minus walk in the best possible way, high K low walk since that date. And I mean, you'd think you'd think more good than bad would be coming his way. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you. I'm really intrigued by uh, the, the next guy that you chose to write about here though. Nate Evaldi. Um, he's his, his um, 
me diving into him surprised me a little bit. I mean, I have a quite a few shares, so it shouldn't surprise me as much. But bottom line, um, Nathan Eovaldi may be the most consistent pitcher in baseball this year that no one you know really talks about. Everyone kind of understands that he's doing well. He was in the All Star game, but I mean, he he has a three four nine. Um, ERA and a 2.47 FIP on the season. He also has a 2.45 ERA and a 2.21 FIP since the June 21st um, date that we're talking about here. 27.7 uh, strikeout rate, 1.5% walks, which is great, especially for him, you know, not keeping everyone on there. Uh, 322 Babbitt, which I think I've had some people bring up to me. They think, oh, you know, maybe Uvaldi can take another step forward. He actually, that's his career average. Um, so I, I don't, I wouldn't expect it to get any better, but it's still amazing that he's doing this well, considering that's a, that's a decently high Babbitt for a, you know, a, a, yeah. an ACE pitcher, you know, which he is the ACE of the Red Sox right now until Chris sale comes back. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I love it. Um, he brought back his slider. I wrote about it earlier this off season. Uh, this maybe the slider itself, um, isn't the reason why he's turned around, but it's kind of 38.4% whiff rate is uh is a nice pitch to add to his, his repertoire and he's just he's just straight solid across the entire board this year it's really amazing um and i'm ashamed to say i have i don't want to say zero i have very limited evaldi this year hardly any on 161 teams and that's because i i just you know there's been injury concerns over his career and we you know we've talked a lot about that over the last few weeks and that's just something that i'd like to avoid but you got to give it to him. This is absolutely incredible. And the consistency in a season like this, where there is none with anyone, is absolutely needed. Um, you know, and you right here as well, like obviously the, the addition of the slider and really bringing it back. How much do you think, because he's had a problem so much with the long ball over the last few years, and we're talking about that with both these guys here, but how much do you think the uh, slider and the cutter and just focusing on those pitches is helping and suppress the homers for him? I think it's the number one thing that has aided his, his, his season long success. He has a 0.39 home run per nine and yeah. 1.49 in 2020, 2.13 in 2019. It's been a huge problem for him. And those are the years he abandoned the slider. What the slider has given him is a pitch that hitters are going to swing and miss at. It you know comes in looking like it's going to be low in the zone and then it dies. And people swing and miss in that. And you combine that with his cutter, which he kind of sometimes elevates, um, you know, in on hitters, especially right-handers. Um, you know, you're changing eye level and you're you're forcing hitters to give them different looks on how the, the movements are a little similar. And now you have pitches that are consistently looking like they're going in the strike zone. And then he either has that movement in or it dives in and out of the zone. So, uh, yeah, he he doesn't give the hitters a lot of things to square up, and a, he has legitimate weapons that are forcing them to chase. So, yeah, it, literally the only worry with me is his health because we've obviously that has, yeah. like you said, that's that's the main issue with him. Um, but uh, he's he's been per- fairly efficient, <laughs> and he has a, a solid game plan, and it, it's been working the entire year, and nothing has changed since the foreign substance crackdown. So. I don't want to. I I kind of want to say he's a buy high for me. Um, if you are again looking for, if you're a team looking for a pitcher, we talked about Aaron Nola. I'm like, I I might buy in if someone's like thinks his ERA is, you know, you know, too high and they they don't think there's anything there. But 
Nate Eovaldi, even though I think he's actually safer, uh, he's still Nate Eovaldi. So because of name recognition, you're not going to be able to get as much of him in trade. But if there's a team out there that's maybe a little out of it or needs to, you know, needs to needs a hitter, uh, I'd, I'd poke my head in there because I think that he, no matter how well he's doing, he's still Nate Eovaldi. So no one's going to truly take him seriously, at least seriously I enough, I should say. Right. I think what we're seeing more than anything is just a guy who is like really matured as a pitcher. I mean, like to be able to hone these couple of pitches. And like you said, um, like, like how weird is that? Like throwing the cutter up and into righties, you know, just like all kinds of different viewpoints, different levels of where the ball is, you know, he's back in the day, he was a little bit more of a flamethrower. Now he's just really, really pitching. So it's encouraging. I'll be interested. And I know we're going to get to this a little later. I'll be very interested to see where he's looking to be drafted in 2022. And I don't know if I'll be buying in just with the health history, but certainly an awesome year for him. And it continues so far. Yeah. He will be an interesting player for next season because usually um, there are certain players that are only worth drafting because of their average draft position. Uh, it's actually why I was out on Kevin Gaussman this year. I mean, I'll put on my dunce cap. I was wrong. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the exact reason. It'll be something similar next year. I mean, he's, there's in, actually it's, it's actually going to be very similar. I mean, there's no way Eovaldi will be going as high as Gaussman did this year, I would think. But, you know, it's it's right. an it's it's a great season. Um, that it's going to be hampered by injury concerns and people's ability to think it'll be back to back. So it may not be similar ADP, but it'll be a similar narrative. And I, you know, I'll probably be out on Evaldi next year because of it, but we'll see uh, where the industry decides to value him. Um, the yeah, next pitcher, the next pitcher on the list is you Darvish, who is, um, who has a, was a 27.8 strikeout rate and a 4.5% walk rate which is, you know, fantastic. <laughs> that puts him at, uh, where is it? At 23.3% K minus walk percentage, which, you know, is in like, I think the top 10 on our list here. Mm-hmm. But despite that, 5.12 ERA and a 4.35 uh, a FIP. I put whip in there. I'm a FIP. I was um, going to say, that looks like a misprint. There. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah. The, the big issue, like, you know, why, how can you strike out that many hitters? Um, you know, and, and be a high up in this list is not doing well. It's it's the opposite of what we were just talking about with Nate Eovaldi. It's home runs, one point nine nine home runs per nine, which you know everyone. If you ever wondering what the difference between FIP and XFIP is, is, is basically field independent pitching, is just assuming league average luck, field league average um, fielding stuff like that. All right, and the difference uh, with XFIP is basically it, it takes field independent pitching one step further, and on top of giving you uh, league average, you know, luck fielding. It is giving you league average, like home run rate, home run to fly bar ratio, you know, on all the, all stuff like that. Home runs are neutralized to game average, which is flawed. Um, I mean, everything is flawed if as an individual statistic, as long as you understand what is, what his intention is, but um, home run suppression is a skill. Uh, therefore you can't make a league average uh, home run rate for everybody because, um, you know, home runs, allowing home runs isn't necessarily luck. It's it's actually a skill. And uh, you Darvish has been giving up a lot of home runs, 1.99 home runs per nine, like we said, um, which is incredibly worrisome as we're talking about the June 21st date uh, as our breakdown here, because before that he was in an even one. So he just doubled that sense. And I mean, I included a chart here. His spin rate has gone incredibly down. So as far as command, as far as effectiveness, Hugh Darvish has has suffered across the board, and 
He really worries me. I, I mentioned the RF command earlier from Roto Fanatic. He grades out at a negative 2.4, which the league average is zero. That measures, again, how much better or worse a given pitcher's location is based on expected outcomes. And you look where he's throwing pitches, you'll see that he's trying to throw inside, he's trying to throw low. That's pretty much where most of his pitches go. Like two-thirds of his pitching are inside or low, trying to, you know, trying to take away, you know, what you know, where hit, hitters hot zones. But a good majority of them are in the heart of the plate uh, and where, you know, he misses, he misses truly badly. So yeah, you Darvish um, nothing, but nothing, but from red flags here, I would definitely be looking to trade him at least in redraft. Again, this isn't predictive. You have to, you know, take what you see and make a gut call sometimes. And, and it's just bad across the board for you, Darvish. He can make adjustments. Garrett Cold made adjustments. I mean, players can adjust to this, but, I haven't seen anything to suggest that you uh, Darvish is going to be anywhere near what he was in the first half. And just in case someone isn't paying attention in your league, I'm not saying to give him away, but um, I don't like anything I've seen. I don't know what you make of Darvish, but I don't like it and I want nothing of it. I am with you. I think this is a good sell high candidate for sure. I mean, he's in a, he's in the toughest division in baseball, so that doesn't help at all. You've got cores there. You've got crazy great lineups throughout the division. Um yeah, it's uh, it's a for, frankly for me, it was a sell high situation coming into the year. I have hardly any Darvish at all, and that's not to say I was more concerned about like the age, injury potential, how high he was going in drafts last year. I had tons of you Darvish because he was more like fourth, fifth rounder or so. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, I, I would say there's some red flags here for sure. It's just situationally where he is, the fact that he's having such a hard time with the long ball. And, you know, his highlights have really been like, you know, the beginning of this season and he had a great season last year. I just, I, I don't, I don't see that continuing. It looks like he actually is being affected by this a bit. And that pretty good K minus walk percentage could also just be because, I mean, the guy's a good pitcher. I mean, if you have him and you're in like a draft and hold or something like that, and there's no trading available, you're running him out there. I mean, any U Darvish shares, I would have him for obviously starting him. But I'm with you, man. Yeah, I think there's some red flags here. And if you are in a league that has trades, I would certainly be looking to see what you can get. Yeah, and again, we're not trying to like throw shade. <laughs> I, I have no problem with anyone who's using foreign substances uh, because I, they, I, in my opinion, they were legal. And the MLB mm-hmm. was pretty much allowing them. But um, again, I know a lot of people faded him for specific reasons, but he was fantastic up until the crackdown started. And then he turned to crap. And there, there's a very obvious reason for it. Uh, so yeah, no, th- no, thank you. Uh, Garrett Cole is interesting. I was out on him, like really out. I benched him in a league, literally benched him for Tyler McGill to start. Wow. Which actually ended up being uh, the right call <laughs> for me. Again, this was a league where I actually was loaded on pitching and could afford to do it. Um, Garrett Cole was going into Houston, which again, ended up being like, I think one of the defining games of his entire career goes up there for nine innings, 12 strikeouts. It was terrific. Um, But again, uh, I wasn't that far off even sitting in front of McGill. I was that worried about Garrett Cole for the same reasons I was worried about you Darvish, which again, we can show you just how quickly a pitcher can turn around. I mean, the June, you know, the June date hits all of a sudden he gives up those six runs over five innings to the Red Sox. I'm sure everyone remembers that he gave up those three monster home runs and then he goes out. can't even get um, he can't he only goes like three innings against the Mets on July 4th. And, you know, his spin rate was dramatically down just the same. It was with um, with you, Darvish. Uh, The thing with Garrett Cole, though, 
even at his best, he gave up home runs. That's, I mean, Justin Verlander does, Max Scherzer does. Some pitchers just give up home runs. <laughs> You're great. And then if someone guesses right and they tee off on you, it happens. But again, um, he comes out against Houston and even people that believed in Cole, I don't think saw this coming again, 12 strikeout complete game. There's all those things like he's swearing. He doesn't want to come out. I, I included a video in here of the oh, strikeout where he's just pumping his fist. It's just such a great attitude to have through 129 pitches. Um, anyway, in the two games that followed that 19 strikeouts over 11 innings allowed four home runs. So, and only one home run allowed, which is, I think is the important thing too, because that's the one thing you want to keep an eye on for Cole. So I don't know. I mean, I'm still a little skeptical. Um, I mean, before June 21st, he, he was the American league leader at 31.1% K to walk ratio. And now he's down to, um, trying to pull it back up. Now he's down to 23.3, which is obviously not bad, but it's, you know, it's not what it was. So, uh, I mean, I'm not worried about Cole anymore. I still have my eyebrow raised, um, because, you know, he's tripled his walk rate since the 21st. So it's almost like, um, it's, it's similar to what Darvish is doing, except Darvish is, you know, giving up these, you know, is walking a decent amount of people. He's, he's, but he's giving up a ton of hard contact and home runs over the heart of the plate. It looks like Garrett Cole's found a way around that at least these last few starts. So he's walking a few, if the home runs come back, it's going to be horrible. I mean, for the amount of people that Cole is walking, uh, if the home runs were to come back, he'd be so much worse than Darvish, but he looks like he's, he's past that. And he looks like he's found a way to maybe bring that home run suppression down. So um, what are your thoughts on Cole, Brian? Because it's he, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I'm not worried. I don't know if that's an issue <laughs> uh, for worried. me, but I think I think I think he's proven enough to show that he has made the adjustments. He's obviously been affected by the the spin rate, you know, problems. I mean, it's it's affecting him as much as it's affecting anybody. But he has actually found a way around it, and I I believe he can continue to do it. I'm not worried at all. I've I've started him the whole way through all of this, which that's just kind of that's more of a just how I play than it is a commentary on anything else. I, I just if I took a guy in the first round, I mean, I'll I'll die with them. You know, that's just the way it's going to go. But yeah. um, yeah, it's interesting that uh, he's got. You know, you pointed out like the gift that you included here in him, the attitude and pumping his fist, and I think he's really out on a mission to prove it to everybody. Like you know that that's not. That didn't make me who I am, obviously. And it's it's interesting to me also because it's quite a departure from his very weak um, answer to the question in the press conference, you know, whatever that was, I don't know, a month, six weeks ago, about if he's ever used spider tack and stuff like that. Just weak sauce all around on that press conference. And now he's going out there with this attitude. It just looks really cool. I'm I'm with you. I, I really... I would say I have limited concerns. I mean, I, I don't. I think it's definitely affecting him. It's going to affect him, but um, I'm running him out there. I, I wouldn't be looking to sell him or anything like that. I would just hold tight with Garrett Cole for sure. Uh, next guy up on the list is Lance McCullers, um, which we talked about Garrett Cole, who had one of the highest walk rates on the entire K-minus walk leaderboard at 9.3. Lance McCullers is tied with him. And mm -hmm. based upon our conversation so far, you would assume – that maybe it's a command issue. Maybe there's a spin rate problem. Maybe there's a grip problem. Probably not uh, because Lance McCullers has struggled with a walk issue the entire season. Actually. Um, he has a 12.9% walk rate before June 21st. So 
I mean, 9.3%, he's actually improved. He's actually improved. Right. I even included a 10 game rolling um, walk percentage for everyone to look at. He's, he's gone from like 15% down to like sub 10. Uh, you know, the walks are, are always going to be a little bit of a problem for McCullers. Um, and he's actually kind of improved as we've gone along only a 297 slugging percentage against, uh, and he just has a, he just has a great arsenal that, uh, that new slider he has put in has just really changed how he's been able to throw to hitters because, you know, if you're into the spin base move, spin base movement, if you ever look at baseball savant, they basically give you a couple of different measurements. If anyone talks about like, you know, spin mirroring and tunneling and, uh, and in deception, it's, it's, it's a, it's important thing for, for hitters, especially strikeout hitters or anyone trying to generate weak contact and everything's kind of measured almost on a clock. So what you have is his sinker coming in, uh, and on the opposite, as far as how the spin, how the, uh, the seams are moving on the baseball, you actually have his curveball, which is his, you know, his always been his money pitch. And then you have his new slider. And when he throws them, the sinker uh, curveball and slider coming out of the hand look identical, even though they're traveling um, in opposite directions, as far as the baseball seams, the seams themselves look like they're going the right because um, it's, it's either going in you know, a one direction or the other in the same way. Does, if that makes sense, if you like, put like a pencil and rammed it through the center of a baseball, you spun it one way or spun it the other way. Yeah. Slowly you can see the seams are going a different direction, but the hitter coming that fast, they look like they're going the same. So um, you only have so much reaction time as a batter. So if these pitchers are coming, um, they all kind of look the same, but they all do very different things coming at you. So yeah, Lance McCullers wouldn't worry about the walk problems. Um, He's high up on this list for a reason. He's actually kind of improved as it goes along. Like, I'm going to everyone we've talked about so far though, you know, besides Cole health is kind of his main thing. So uh, I, if you have him, I trust him. I don't have any shares because I think he was a little expensive for my health concerns. Um, but I, I wouldn't mind. Um, I wouldn't mind having him. There'd be no worries for me here as far as walk, you know, or anything like that. I think he shows up on the top of this list for a reason. And um, after digging in, it, it all looks good. Yeah, I have no shares in McCullers. He was a guy that just big, fat red line was put through his name before the season just with injury concerns and stuff like that. But it is interesting that, uh, you know, like you've said, I mean, like the guy has walked guys all year, and we have plenty of pitchers in the major leagues who have a bit of a higher walk rate but still have been able to sustain success. So it, it is a behavior that you can overcome, although you don't, you'd rather not see it, of course. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you got to stick with them down the stretch here. It's encouraging that the walk rate's been dropping a little bit here as well. So um, obviously has like a crazy arsenal and stuff like that. And it, you know, to, to my surprise, kind of, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, it, it's really hurting him the the uh, lack of any kind of substance on the ball so and we you know that's something to keep in mind you alluded to this earlier like with you darvish we don't know the ex- anybody who says they do we don't know the exact extent of what any of these guys were doing necessarily so i'm also to echo something that you said earlier too i don't believe that was cheating i believe that um uh, that there should, I, I really believe in that idea that there should be some kind of pre-treatment that is agreed upon that in ballparks, conveyor belt style, whatever, you know, let's get these guys a little bit more of a handle on the ball. I was actually for that. I mean, we'll see what happens going forward, but with McCullers. Yeah. I think you uh, hang on to them, keep running them out there down the stretch. And uh, I guess I'm pretty much encouraged overall. Um, I would still have injury concerns. That's not really what we're talking about here, but yeah, we'll keep running them out there. 
Uh, the next group um, that that kind of ends where we were talking about the positives. There's a lot of other interesting people on the leaderboard, like Carlos Rodon, who's who's been great going forward. Yeah. And um, you know, it's just with you know the things that are going on with like Dylan Cease or Lucas Giolito um, with the spin rate that it doesn't look like it has affected Carlos Rodon at all. So that's kind of encouraging for anyone who's kind of wondering what was going on with him. Uh, but now we're looking at the anti leaderboard. You know, pitchers that haven't been doing well. At the very top of the list is Cal Quantrill. I mean, nor here nor there. He doesn't strike out many people and he walks a lot. Right. Uh, you shouldn't be thinking about him too much. Maybe I thought maybe he would have been a decent uh, streamer if you were desperate um, this this week. Uh, but I you know, in 15 team leagues. Yeah, did I you? Yeah, I thought it was in a couple. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a good matchup. But overall, in the grand scheme of things, it, you know, there's nothing really to worry about. Um, someone who popped up on here is Zach Davies, which for me, was pretty interesting because he pops on, he pops up on this list of terrible people again, number two worst in baseball, uh, 5.4% Cato minus walk percentage, which for maybe for some won't shock you because he's not a high strikeout guy, but he's usually a really low walk guy. Um, he usually has actually some of the best command. I mean, we do the command metric on, um, Rota fanatic. I know, Eno Saris, he does the command plus, uh, over at the athletic, he, he's Zach Davies, Michael Pineda. There's certain pitchers that always show up at the top of these because they're command wizards. He has a 14% walk rate <laughs> nice. uh, uh, since, since June 21st. And it's actually been bad the entire year. Um, so, I mean, he has an 83.3 left on base percentage has the lowest home run fly ball ratio of his career. So he has a 3.38 ERA since June 21st. Um, but with a 5.4% K to my walk rate and those other metrics that are kind of showing luck. Ah, I mean, his name has come up around the trade deadline and my God, I hope the Mets don't get him. <laughs> no team should be. I mean, hopefully everyone has a, hopefully everyone has an analytics department because yeah, Davies has a track record, but I think by August, I think we know right now he doesn't have it this year, whatever has made him worthy. Um, he doesn't have currently. And, uh, the 3.38 ERA since that date has been is wildly misleading. Yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, I don't even know what label to put on this guy. I mean, it's not. He can't be. He's not a sell high. I mean, I don't know who would be really thinking highly of him really at this point. But um, it's a rough year. And yeah, for a guy like him, I mean, if all, of all things, if your walk rate's going to rise like that. I mean, cut bait. I don't really see any situation where you would be starting him. So it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, he's going to become one of those back of the rotation innings eaters or something. And I, I can't imagine why a team would really be after him right now. It sucks for him, but yeah, not a lot of encouraging things to be to be looking at here. When a guy like this um, is is losing control and walking guys, I mean, <laughs> what what real purpose do you have for rostering him in a fantasy league? So yeah, this is. Huge red flags from Davies. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's someone that a lot of people have talked about before, at least in deep formats, as a, as a decent, you know, maybe of a streamer. And we talked yes. about before, um, you know, Cal Quantrill. There's a time and a place for streaming, but with his the with his makeup, I just want to give people the heads up. Um, he's it's it's not looking good. Um, next guy on the list is Framber Valdez, but wow, I was really on board with him. I, I thought, mm -hmm. you know, he, he saw an increase in strikeouts and an improvement in walk rate. Um, he, he's a weird guy when you look at his overall statistics from previous years, because he's someone who relies on the sinker so heavily. So his overall numbers look skewed because he has a really, he has like a wipeout changeup but then a sinker that is supposed to generate weak contact. So his basically his strikeout numbers 
and his whiff percent, everything is thrown off because you have these two pitches that are really trying to do very different things. One is a right. full whiff pitch and one is a full contact pitch. And um, the problem here is uh, in the six starts since Valdez, since, um, you know, was he allowed no more than one and run over his first five starts when he started, you know, when he came back from that uh, hand injury, the finger injury, he looked solid and everyone like me who had held on to him um, from May 28th to June 13th, he tossed seven innings of two run ball on June 19th. And other than that, he never allowed more than one and run over his first five starts. He looked great, but in the six starts since, which happened to be post um, the date we were talking about 16 earned runs over 34 and a third innings with a 4.13 ERA, which isn't horrible. Um, but he had a two one Oh ERA in June. Uh, so I don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know, what, what happened there? I mean, the, the strikeouts were still good, but the walk rate jumped from 6.9% to 13.6%, um, decreased his K minus walk by 8.8 points. The, the concern here is two things. Did is he, is he just regressing into a problem he used to have? Um, is it an issue with, you know, lack of substance on his, um, you know, on his fingers, as far as grip, is he just missing? I mean, I actually included a video here showing him missing badly, and there's a lot of examples. Or is this just a small sample size for a guy who was out for most of the season? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things here, but um, I don't, I, you know, as far as actionable information, I think this maybe has more to do with next year than this season. Right. Um, you know, we want to see what he does the rest of the way out, but this is certainly something I think to keep an eye on because the thing that made him valuable was not only that his strikeouts were up, that his walks were down, his walks need to remain down. So, um, you know, they're going to be maybe coming up with a foreign substance that everyone, a universal foreign substance. And that'll be, have to be something where if there's players like this, let's just, let's just assume again, no, this is no shade on Framber. Let's assume that not having grip enhancement is hurting him that like many, many pitchers, if they agree on a universal one for the next season, they play, um, you know, how are we going to, you know, it's good to identify the people that are suffering because of it, because maybe you can bump them back up because if it's not that you don't want to bump them back up. So I think this is like a good test case for how we're going to do analysis in the future in coming off this wacky season in pitching, because, you know, if uh, if we, you know, he gets some grip back and that solves his walk issues, boom, he's back to pre-June Framber. But if this is something else, we kind of want to know about it. So it's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on going forward. Framber has been such an enigma to me personally since even be before the season. And I know he was one of the hot names. I mean, like he rose up draft boards all throughout the offseason. And it was so unfortunate what happened to him in the spring training game with the fracture and everything it really looked like for a week or so there we thought he was out for the season so at least he's actually pitching but yeah I have a lot of concerns um again I already kind of did I, I I don't even I only have I have very limited shares of him I I, I just I didn't know what we were going to get from him and there's enough inconsistencies here um yeah just I, I know it's one pitch but as you stated it's one of many but the gift that you included you can clearly see these missing badly and I would assume probably that you know, he's having issues with the lack of substance on the ball. And this guy's still a young pitcher as well. And to see this, these kind of command issues down the stretch, I mean, I don't think you can really feel fantastic about running him out there the rest of the year. I mean, you, you know, you may have to do it. I, again, where he was drafted, you feel obligated almost to start him. You got that sunk cost fallacy. But, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, I, I would feel risky – 
putting him out there literally every single time at this point. I, I'm with you on the assessment for next year because it isn't just like, is it the substance that is affecting this guy? It's also like, he's a young pitcher. How much of it is getting in his head? What are the circumstances going to be for next season and stuff like that? Um, yeah. So, yeah. so many, it's, so many variables. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing with him is, uh, I, I did my I did actually one of my extended threads on him and I actually came away looking at all the data, looking at the increased strikeouts and lowered walks. And I actually thought I was more impressed with the lower walks and I thought that would stick. And I would thought the strikeouts may go away because I thought, if anything, if this guy wants to be successful long term, he'll probably, you know, rely on that change up as a swing and miss. But he'll probably try to generate a ton of that weak contact, which is the ground ball rate, which he's known for. So he's still getting the high strikeouts, but the 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 you know the the command isn't there. So if he's going to walk people, and then for some reason the strikeout rate goes away, you could be looking at a borderline useless pitcher in fantasy. Right. Um, right. Uh, so I mean, the walk rate is the thing that concerns me. I mean, the strikeout rate being, I mean, if anything, I'd rather the walk rate be low and the strikeout rate of, you know, I mean, if the, I'd rather switch this, I'd rather his strikeouts went away and his his walk rate remains strong. If that makes sense, I'd rather have Dallas Keuchel right now than someone that I may, you know, uh, you know, like a, I, I don't know, I it feels it, weird. This to say could be that. a problem, like you said, you can't be comfortable. You can't. Uh, he's someone I'm keeping a sharp eye on. Yeah, the closer next- those two numbers get together, the, the strikeout rate and the walker, the closer those numbers get together, the more I'm a little bit terrified. So I'm with you. <laughs> uh, the next guy we don't have to talk about much. I put him on this list for a reason. Willie Peralta. <sighs> yes, it's a small sample. And I just ignored it for a while. But it's gone on long enough to where people are now like, fine, you know, fine, I'll I'll ride the hot hand, which not necessarily a real thing in pitching, in my opinion. But again, 32 years old, Willie Peralta on the Tigers has a 1.67 ERA since June 21st with a 0.90 whip. So, I mean, I can get it if you're struggling and you really need a starting pitcher. You look at that like, hey, he's not going to get many runs. He's not putting maybe many people on base. Um, You know, maybe maybe there's something here. All right. Here's why you should worry. He has a 0.90 whip, which is obviously walks and hits per innings pitch. He has 9% walk rate. 9%, 9%, which is brutal because uh, he has a 172 Babbitt, you know, so no one's, you know, getting hits. I mean, imagine a league average Babbitt of like, you know, around 300 ish or whatever. 172 Babbitt if goes up to 300 with a 9% walk rate. You know, you have someone who's really, really terrible. And right. he also has an 89.21% left on base. So what you're talking about here is someone who walks everyone. No one gets a hit, even though they should. And anyone who does get on base gets stranded at a ridiculously elite rate that no one could really keep up. Um, granted, he does have a 57.3% ground ball rate. You know, I don't want to take everything away from him. 15.7% line drive rate during that time, 5.6% barrel rate. So there's a reason that he's been able to get away with these Willy Wonka numbers. But um, again, a 1.67 ERA during that time has a 4.24 whip. 474 Sierra. I think that's Willie Peralta. <laughs> that's Willie Peralta. So anyone who's going too crazy here, not, I mean, I, maybe I wasted my breath. Everyone who's sharp knows to, you know, to, to lower expectations, but I mean, this isn't a pitcher who's going to regress. There's a trap door below him and the, the, the door has already been pulled and he's somehow levitating above it. Uh, you know, as soon as the pixie dust wears off, he's falling into the crocodile mo, and he's going to be torn up. 
Yeah, this is disaster uh, the rest of the season, most likely. I mean, literally, it's the most likely scenario. Like, he could, you know, he could have a lot more happy accidents here the rest of the way. I wouldn't count on it. Um, You know, he's in a division where, and he's in a ballpark where, yeah, there's some run suppression, but I don't really, with these other numbers, you plug those into the variables and stuff like that. I I don't really want to be counting on the ballpark to save him or anything. So, yeah, this is uh, if you're running him out there, I, I'd question your motives. But yeah, it's it's probably not going to be looking good the rest of the season. I'm with you. And I should say something like, again, we're wasting our breath maybe on Willie Peralta, but this is for anything in fantasy. There's a certain amount of things you can't control. You know, that's what makes baseball so good. That's what they say. That's why they play the games, right? Um, he could go out there and be good the rest of the year. <laughs> he could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All we do in fantasy and especially data analysis and player analysis is look at the law of averages, which is called the law of averages for a reason. It's a law of averages because most likely things go back to a certain baseline. That's why baseline exists. Um, If there's a one red flag, sometimes people can outperform certain things like Jan Moncada. He hits the ball so hard. He's so fast. He can have, have a high Babbitt. Um, Tim Anderson has proven everyone wrong. Javier Baez has proven everyone wrong as far as um, being successful in fantasy with piss poor plate discipline. Um, But when you start to have not one red flag, but two and three and four and five, and some of the red flags correlate to each other, it's not a good thing. So um, yeah, no, thank you, Willie Peralta. Um, No, thank you. Uh, Another no, thank you is Kyle Gibson. Holy hell. Um, he had a tremendous first half and I was kind of on board because he brought in this new cutter, which he's thrown a little bit in the past, but it's actually not a fantastic pitch on its own, but he had actually, it had actually allowed him the rest of his pitches to um, be more effective because he threw the slider and that, you know, he's threw his slider more and then his, the whiff rate is way up on that because he kind of mixed in this cutter gave opposite hitters another look. So I don't know what it is as far as has everyone just finally gotten the scouting report out on Kyle Gibson because it's not like he's this big, you know, devastating um, pitcher. He doesn't strike out many guys, uh, but, um, you know, he's <laughs> he has 11.8% K minus walk rate uh, that has dropped to 9.2% um, because uh, since June 21st, and he has a 458 uh, ERA since that again, the June 21st date. So uh, I don't know what to make here as far as the reason. I mean, it's almost half the year, like, you know, first half, second half, and that June cutoff anyway. So everyone, there was a large contingent that just thought regression was coming anyway. How successful can you be not striking many people out and walking a certain amount? So, I mean, it just could be natural aggression, his uh, regression, his, he had a 244 BABIP, which is now into 319. So he kind of went from under, from overperforming to like maybe even underperforming. So it could be, he's not as bad as he is now, but he's nowhere near as good as he was then. But either way, um, trade deadline. Uh, Mets, no thank you. Don't do it. Um, we'll see if anyone gets suckered into overpaying to Kyle Gibson. I'm not saying he's going to be terrible, but I'm saying that I'm not sure he's more than a streamer at this point in fantasy baseball. Uh, you you may be right. This, this name actually intrigues me 
uh, almost as much as the next guy we're going to talk about because I have oodles of Kyle Gibson. I have tons of Kyle Gibson this season. And mm-hmm. you might ask yourself why, and it's because I am primarily like a best ball guy and the guy's going to throw innings, which he's definitely done. And it's been great. I mean, this has been a good mm-hmm. season. I've been Oh, yeah, hey, no, no problem with best ball ever. Uh, yeah. I guess this is more like anyone that has started to rely on him as an ace. It's more right. of a be careful kind of thing. Like if you drafted him, um, thinking that he could be serviceable, that's fine. But um, he was never going to be a start at cores, you know, start versus the Red Sox at Fenway guy. Um, um, but now he has been. <laughs> and, you know, you, everyone needs to rethink that. <laughs> yes, we need to we need to put him back in proper perspective. Now, he's not in Zach Davies territory or anything like that here. I, yeah, I, yeah, I feel yeah. pretty good about Kyle Gibson still, especially now you're right. Um, this is a trade candidate. So what I'm about to say may be rendered useless, but in a good ballpark now for pitchers, uh, um, the division I, situationally, I like him in a lot of starts still. I mean, like he. <laughs> He's got some spacious ballparks and some offenses that don't do much. So I I do really like that. Again, though, that's not like the thing you want to be dependent upon. And yeah, there's definitely we know who Kyle Gibson is kind of he he definitely has remade himself over the last few years. This guy was, I mean, borderline gash can for most of his career from what I can remember. But um, yeah, it's been a fun go of it so far. I think the last two months are going to be pretty lackluster, but I am with you 100 percent. This this is more becoming it's it's hard to adjust your mind. And this is one of those things you've got to do to be a successful fantasy player. But like, you've got to adjust your mind that like, no, this isn't like ace level. This isn't even like number two starter level. You do have to think about like, oh man, he is at Fenway this week. Do I start him? So that's one of those big things you have to look at. Yeah, I, I would be very cautious with him the rest of the way here. Um, and the last pitcher is, is very intriguing. I know you just said you're very interested to talk about him. Um, my analysis is I don't know what to think. So let's just dive right into Joe Musgrove of the Padres. <laughs> he had again, unbelievable first half uh, pre June 21st, two, two, eight ERA point eight, five whip 31 and a half percent K rate, only a five and a half percent walk rate, 26% K minus walk. Fantastic. He had a no hitter in there post June 21st, 5.34 ERA one, four, two whip 18% K rate, 8% walk rate, 10.1% K minus walk. So more than lost. I mean, he's, it's, I mean, he's just been brutal uh-huh. and, you know, I mean, the batting average against has, has gone from 137 to 306. And you, you talk about people, which again, this is a problem with making assumptions based on what problems are going for other people. You're going to look at some of the things like teammate, you Darvish, and you're going to look at some things that like give Garrett Cole and everyone likes to lump everyone together. When it's in reality, there's a, like we said, there's a lot of variables. There's regression, there's injury, there's, you know, there's slumps, there's the, the sticky substances from spin rate perspective and loss of grip. But I'll tell you one thing that surprised me. Joe Musgrove has had no problem with spin rate. <laughs> His spin right. rate since May has climbed and climbed his average spin rate on all pitches has gone from 2605 to 2655. I mean, his spin rate has gone up and up and up and up and up and up. So that is not a problem for him. Um, so what have you really seen out of Joe Musgrove? Because obviously there's some things at play here. Uh, you know, he's obviously walking a lot more people, which is never good, but his, his overall stuff has just not been as effective, but it has nothing to do with spin. Um, right. So he's, you know, he's a, a little bit of an enigma for how poorly he's been. 
This is such a colossal fall from grace that you've got to ask yourself the question, is is the lack of substance really hurting him? And obviously not as far as spin rate, you know, and, and you just brought up a great point. You know, people dumb down the substance thing to guys just throwing wicked pitches that are like video game level. And it's, it's really not just that. It's also just slight helps with command. And Musgrove is still a young enough guy. I think he probably has been using something for the majority of his career, obviously former Astro. So um, that I think that has to factor into what we're seeing. This is such a fall from grace that I have no idea what to expect the rest of the season. I mean, the guy was obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball in the first half. We all remember the no-hitter against the Rangers. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, we've talked about this earlier. You paid for him this year. You know, if you have him, which I, I have a decent bit, maybe 20% or so, you paid for him. It, we knew what the price tag was. He's up there with like Kevin Gossman and guys like that before the season. Um, I'm probably going to continue to run him out there uh, just because of what I paid, but you've got to wonder what's going on. It, it definitely, if it continues this way, let me ask you this, because we've, we've talked about like 2022, and that's something that really intrigues me with some of these guys. Let's say we see this the rest of the season. Let's say we just see tale of two seasons for Joe Musgrove. Where the hell does this guy get drafted next year? And what does that look like? I really don't know. Um, it wouldn't. He wouldn't be drafted by me, period. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't draft him this year just because he was a little too expensive. And, but I don't play as many best ball leagues. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, in, in season long, I got to think about what I want to do a little more. And there was, there was, to be honest, there was a lot of hitters I liked in his area which is why I don't have a lot of Kevin Gaussman either. Um, it just happened to be a dead area um, for me in starting pitching as far as how I was building my um, rosters. It had nothing to do with me not wanting Musgrove. I actually did. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I came into the season really, really wanting him. Uh, but after he went to the Padres, it just it, he just landed in an area where um, it, I just didn't end up with him. But, yeah, uh, it, he's, he's definitely made some adjustments to his pitch arsenal, and none of them have worked. So – yeah, it's, I don't know what his his exact issue is. Based on his track record of being so inconsistent, for me, it's easy to write him off for consideration for next year if we just see this the rest of the way, only because, you know, you know, you know, fool me one, shame on you kind of thing. We've seen right. the ceiling in in the past, never as much as we saw in the first half, like you know, from from until you know until June, the end of June, like he he was so terrific. Like I was saying earlier, he like you know before that date. He was so good, but, you know, usually it was like maybe at the end of a season, you know what I mean? And we never saw for an extended period of times, but we've seen it. Um, we've seen glimpses of how good he can be, uh, but we have seen a lot more of him being bad and it's usually tied to his velocity, right? Like he's had fluctuations in velocity going up and down. So I think it'll just depend on price. Um, hopefully he'll maybe get discounted enough next year to where um, I can take a shot. <laughs> uh, but I would think that there'll probably be enough believers. Yeah. Um, he'll be one of those pitchers where it's probably like, you're going to want to get on him early because you know, they'll once they uh, like, you know, maybe the high price NFBC leagues and stuff start going, maybe some sharp people will try to get back in on them. Um, so yeah, it all depends on price, but yeah, right now. Um, I mean, like, like I think we're, I was talking about with some of these other pitchers, you can't wheel them out there like you were. Um, I don't. I, I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, how would you feel deploying Joe Musgrove the rest of this season? 
I wouldn't feel comfortable, but um, it, it really depends. I mean, he's going to be in some questionable situations. I mean, if I, I I don't know their schedule the whole rest of the way, but if if there's like a start in L.A., if there's a start obviously in Coors, if there's a start even at San Francisco, I mean, I might I might feel a little worried about that. So yeah, I this is so bad that you've got to question when you're putting him out there. And to answer the question about the value for next year, I do think that. There's so much hype. There was so, so much hype about this guy coming into this season. Now we saw him do it for the first half and throw a no-hitter in spectacular fashion. I think you're going to have to pay up. So I, I think I'm probably with you. I don't know how much of him I'll have next year because I think now that people have seen it this year, the price tag is still going to be there. But yeah, the rest of this season, I'm I'm certainly worried about Musgrove. All right. I wasn't going to talk about this on the on the show because I figured the I didn't have enough details, but it looks like they're out now. So we're going to end the season talking about a trade that just went down. Um, oh Starling boy. Marte has been traded to the Oakland A's oh for Jesus Lazardo. Wow. I mean, good job by the, by the Marlins, I think. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this is a rental and you get Jesus. I mean, did the A's really give up on Lazardo that much? It seems they I mean, did. Good, I mean, Good on the Marlins, who appear to be a pitching factory at this point. But wow, right. uh, if you were going to trade Marte, I know they probably could have used multiple pieces. And again, I don't know what the final trade. They could be a lot more. But right now, it's been confirmed that Marte is definitely going back to the A's. And yep. John Heyman, who is not really known. He's not Bob Nightingale, but um, I, no, I, I would like Nightingale to see this tweet. I would Nightingale like to see. Thing. I would like to see someone else say this, but he says, "Hey, Sue Cesaro is going to the Marlins," uh, and so that is something. Huh. Very interesting. And yeah, the for the Marlins, I mean, look at what they've already stocked up in the house with all these pitchers they've developed or had a part in developing, and adding Lazardo. Yeah, very interesting. I, I think it's. Uh, this is a good trade for the Marlins, quite obviously, and from the A's perspective. I mean, what do you? What do you think? I mean, um, I don't know what their postseason chances are. I mean, certainly they could get in, but I don't know what kind of run they can really make. What do you think about this for the A's as far as adding Marte? Um, I think, I mean, I think this is, I, I would like to see what their batting lineup is going to look like. I mean, I think overall, this is obviously fantastic for Marte's fantasy value. It's a much better team to be sitting in the lineup with, uh, especially yeah. when, you know, he has some on-base machines probably in front of him. Marte's, even with his stolen base ability, I assume he's going to be hitting second or third, maybe third. Yeah, yeah. Probably. I mean, they can't put him on. I mean, with the, with the on-base guys they have, they can't possibly put him near the top, right? I mean, at the uh, top, I yeah, I, I don't think they'll do that. I could, I could definitely see third. You never know with the A's. I mean, you see some weird ass lineups come out of them. So I don't know, but uh, yeah, it certainly boosts his value. I would say um, for the rest of the year a bit. But uh, yeah, very intriguing. Uh, um, the Marlins continue to uh, you know have a bright future. So yeah, this is uh, this is a blockbuster. This is our first blockbuster. I would say. Yeah, I mean, right now at the top of their lineup, they have like Mark Canna, who you shouldn't move out of the leadoff spot. Right. Um, Ramon Laureano batting second, Olsen third, Jed Lowry fourth. So the obvious moves would be to either bump Olsen down and put um, Marte in the two or three or move Laureano down um, to the four and move him up. I would say moving. I mean, you don't want to give less at bats to Olsen, but he's a power bat. So I think with the speed of Laureano 
and the speed of Marte, it would probably make the most sense to move him down. But either way, that's what the top four is looking like in Oakland. Uh, some combination of Canna, Marte, Olsen, Loriano. Um, that's what's going to be at the top. So fantastic for Marte. Um, what yeah. do you think this means for Lazardo? The, the Marlins are a little out of it. Do you think they promote him right away and let him figure this back out at the major league level? I would, I would I, think, I, right? I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I just, because... cu- I just cut Lazardo in a couple of leagues, but I just yeah, did perfect, it. Perfect, perfect. Just did it. <laughs> I would say that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you figure they're not obviously making the playoffs. Why not bring him up? Let him, you know, start against major league teams again and things like that. And get him out there. Um, yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for him, and obviously they know what they're doing to develop pitchers. I mean, it's it kind of insane how they've been over the last year or two. So I wonder um, if there's. It wouldn't surprise me if we found out there was some kind of an injury or something with Lazardo because man, he's under control until 2027, and Marte is a free gosh. agent. That is, I mean, I know, I don't know. You could it be just right seems about like that. For, for a team like the A's, this seems like such a strange move if everything's on the up and up with Lazardo, you know, to give up right. a, a young ace lefty. Again, lefties take time to develop a lot, you know, especially, you know, strong ones. He has one of the highest um, pitching velocities for any left-hander in the game, too. So, I mean, man, that's I'm, I'm surprised. I'm shocked. Maybe we'll see the old Clevenger here where we get a report that uh, he now having Tommy John surgery right after the trade. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right I don't the know, signing. But, I guess that would have been for the Padres, but we'll see. But hey, uh, I mean, I you know, you get you can't you can't fault the A's for trying to go for it um, ever. You know, good for them. Uh, you know, they they went out and got themselves a reliever. They went out and got themselves on a beautiful outfielder here. So I mean, good for them. Yeah. That's it's a lot to give up. It's a lot. Um, so we'll see. Well, anyway, that'll do it for the Tunji Podcast, everyone. Uh, you get the bonus uh, content there with the Lazardo Marte trade. Um, Brian, let everyone know where they can find you if they want to talk a little more baseball. Um, and uh, yeah, hit them, uh, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. Sure. I am at Brian J. Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. Follow along. And, uh, you know, usually Friday nights, I have a couple of pops and hop on Twitter and maybe talk some baseball. So hit me up there. Love to talk to you. All right, everybody. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Matt Williams, M-E-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Always feel free to reach out to me. I love talking baseball. Uh, it should be wild heading into the uh, the trade deadline. It, it could it could get crazy right now. Um, yeah. What was your biggest prediction before we got off the air right now? What is your biggest pre- blockbuster blockbuster prediction uh, for the rest of the way? If you had to say one. Man, uh, assuming that Scherzer gets dealt. Um, man, um, I'm going to say we'll, we'll say let's say Scherzer to the Dodgers. I'll give you that. Sure. I, I want, I want to, I almost want to see the, uh, the giants really go for it. I saw some things out there that Joey Bart might be on the table for Bryant, which I thought was much, maybe if they were getting Bryant and Kimbrell and the Cubs were maybe paying a little money, then you give up Bart, but I would love to see the, you know, maybe even the giants go in for Scherzer too, but I'd love to see the giants try uh, because even though they're out in front, I can't help but think, you know, they're playing with a little bit of house money here. Once you get into those series with the yeah. Padres and Dodgers, you're going to want a little more firepower. So I hope they uh, they take advantage of that special team they have this year and, and maybe supplement it a little bit. Um, but hey, everybody, uh, let us know. You know, let us know over on uh, Turn Two Pod on Twitter. Let us know what your predictions are for the rest of the year or for the uh, going into the trade deadline. It should be exciting. See you, everybody. My oh my, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. 
I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The ex flipping wit got me looking way past the pictures. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out